as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the sixth fall and pop- Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, also Big Shiny Robot And this week we've only got one movie for you uh, It's Suicide Squad It's essentially DC's attempt to do Guardians of the Galaxy uh, and whether or not they were successful, well, we're about to tell you. Andy, what is this movie about, or... There really wasn't much plot, was there? It was kind of just a series of events. Well, th- I mean, there there is a little bit of a plot, and you compared it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, this is DC taking all of their villains and putting them together... Uh, This has been a mainstay of their comics for uh, a long time, for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, There's been a Suicide Squad title. Uh, They bring together their villains, uh, they put them in a team, and say, okay, you're locked up for multiple life sentences. Guess what? We will start taking off time from your sentence... Which is kind uh, of silly every, because they're life sentences, yeah. but yes, yeah, you can continue. But for, <laughs> yes, but for every mission that you successfully complete, you will get one step closer to freedom. Uh, when we put you out in the field, though, uh, we're going to put explosives in your neck, and you step out of line, or you don't complete the mission, and we blow your head off. Uh, that That is the basis of the Suicide Squad, and this stays fairly true to that basic idea. Uh, and the Suicide Squad is run by Amanda Waller, who is here played by Viola Davis, who is one of the best parts of this movie. But uh, she comes in and says, hey, we have a very serious problem. In the aftermath of Batman v Superman, we need to have a response team ready for when the next superhuman comes along and decides that in instead of protecting the Earth, it's going to attack the Earth. Yeah. So let's put together this team of people who are more or less expendable, and we can send them in to fight because we have full control over them, and we're essentially trying to fight superpowers with superpowers, even if they're chaotic. Uh, so they put together a team... Uh, which starts with Harley Quinn, who is a former psychiatrist who the Joker has turned crazy herself. Yes. And uh, she is. She is. Played by Margot <laughs> Robbie. And uh, she she is also one of the best parts of this movie. Uh, the other best part of this movie is Will Smith playing Deadshot, who is an assassin for hire, uh, who he doesn't miss. He has uh, amazing aim, and that's that's why he's so great throw in some other people, Diablo who is an ex uh, LA gangbanger, Killer Croc who is a sewer dwelling super strong crocodile like person and who am I missing? Uh, oh that's basically the problem with this movie oh right? yeah yeah there's so many there people it's four. like oh and uh, there's Rick Flag and Enchantress and, that, and that's the the basic most important part rick flag is is actually the supposed good guy in this he is special forces uh super awesome soldier he also has access to the blow up your necky thingy and he's the one actually on the ground with them uh and he is involved because he is in love with uh a female scientist who has been taken over 
by a thousands of year old ancient Mesoamerican goddess uh, who occasionally takes over the body of his girlfriend scientist and uh, gets out of control. That's the Enchantress. And guess what? Enchantress uh, actually goes a little crazy. And uh, yeah, and, and gets out of line. And suddenly uh, the team that they put together has to go out and take her down uh, because she is causing chaos. Um, that, wow, uh, you know, that is kind of the problem with this movie is I explained a lot about who the characters are and not a ton about an actual plot because the plot here is very thin. But you actually and it, did a much better job explaining the characters than the movie does. <laughs> That's true. But the first, <laughs> the first 30, 45 minutes of the movie is just setting up all of these characters, and that is the basic problem with it. Uh, there's a series of flashbacks. There is a mission briefing where you go through the dossier on every single one of these people, and it it just gets boring. It, it's it's like, here's the... Okay, now we're going to do the, the Harley Quinn vignette. Now we're going to do the Deadshot vignette. Now we're going to do the Diablo vignette. And it it just doesn't really come together in any sort of cohesive fashion. And so uh, this film doesn't really deliver on its promise. in in my opinion, uh, there was a much better place for them to go with this. And, uh, the movie was just frankly boring and not Mm -hmm. put together super well. Um, but it was occasionally funny and uh, it did have a few really cool moments every once in a while. So, here, here's... Oh, God, I have so many problems with this movie. It's not even... I don't want to start. Um, I really, really wanted this movie to, to be great. I, I wanted it to be fun. The trailer set up to be this great film. Uh, unfortunately, like you mentioned, though, the biggest flaw with it is that it starts to get boring. Um, you know, the, the opening 30 minutes kind of explains Harley Quinn and all the different people... But they spend the lion's share of the time on her and Deadshot, and then all the other characters get 30 seconds each. So it's really hard to be invested into someone when you know so little about them. I mean, uh, and Captain Boomerang, who, it, I don't even know why he's in the movie. Like he, oh, I forgot Captain Boomerang. You see, so did everyone else. Uh, he, he's in the movie, you know, he's one of the characters, he's part of the squad. They show him robbing a bank and getting caught. And then... His big thing is he can throw boomerangs. I can throw boomerangs, too. They don't always come back. It doesn't make me a superhero, so I'm not really sure why he's there, because he never does anything. Um, the Joker, I mean, Jared Leto, I, I think, Andy, uh. you said it best, and I laughed so hard in your in the review, was that you said he's like a counselor I can't juggle up. No, <laughs> seriously. He's like, it's like, instead of taking... All of you've had a lot of great Joker performances in the past, and I think you could you can even look at Cesar Romero and bring things from that. You can look at Jack Nicholson and, of course, Heath Ledger. And it's like Jared Leto decided to take the strangest pieces from all of those, not the good pieces, the weird pieces. And then, yeah, and then, and then decided to go juggalo on them. And I just. Yeah. And see, the problem is, Joker is that his least interesting when he's just simply being a mob boss. 
It's when Joker's out there, you know, we just talked about Killing Joke last week. It's when Joker's being that, you know, diabolical, twisted person that he's at his best. And this was just, I mean, you know, if you would have taken all the makeup off and just let him be Jared Leto, it would have been the same performance. It wouldn't have been anything. It wouldn't. It wasn't the Joker. So, I don't know. That's So, yeah, the Joker was the... Um, but, yeah, you spent all this time building these characters up, and then... Just throw them into New York City or wherever they are. No, not whatever city. They're, I don't give a shit. It, but it's very obviously supposed to be like Midtown Manhattan. But it's, yeah. there, it's there because it's it's DC. They don't have the actual cities. It's like Central City or or what I yeah. don't even remember because and, it's so and yet again they're they're fighting something that's being shot into the sky. There's a big pillar of light going into the sky like we've had in Ghostbusters and Avengers and every other superhero movie known to man. And then, you know, they, they're fighting these weird rock creatures, and it just gets boring, and I was waiting for more to happen, and then there's this weird scenes where they're all sitting there talking that's supposed to be funny, and then finally at the end, they, they get to the big bad, they, they start fighting her, and I swear to God, the last ten minutes of the movie is all shot in slow-mo. Like, it, it was just, really? You're making it go even slower? <laughs> um, and then there's, there's plot holes galore, I mean, I don't think you... Notice, but you know the Joker disarmed the explosive in Harley Quinn's neck. How did Weller control her at the end? It's disarmed. Oh, because she still has good in her, and she's decided that she's going to. Yeah, she's gonna go back to prison for for funsies. Even though yeah. the Joker breaks her out at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, it just it was it was boring. It was very it was tonally it's it was like it was jumping from beat to beat and didn't know what it was doing. Um, which actually is because this was this movie was filmed twice and they smushed them together. So this this there's a lot of problems behind the scenes. Here's the thing: David Ayer is a good director. He did Fury. He's done some other stuff that I've enjoyed. He wrote Training Day, which is fantastic. Yeah. So we know he's talented. Warner Brothers got their panties in a bunch because of the Batman v Superman reviews and the reactions afterwards. So they stepped in and they meddled with it. You know, Warner, because I know you listen to this podcast. Stop doing that crap. Let the movie be what it is, and it'll it'll be fine. I want to see David Ayer's original movie. I want to see what he had in, in store for it. And yeah, he did step up and be like, oh, yeah, this is my movie, because he's actually a class act. He's not like Josh Trank. Um, huh. But I want to see the visual idea he had, and I'm sure when it comes out on Blu-ray, they'll probably do another Ultimate Edition like they did with Batman v Superman, which, again, I haven't watched it yet, but every single person who's seen that cut said the movie makes sense finally because that half hour they cut out was necessary to the story. You know, quit meddling with stuff. Like, pull a Disney Pixar. You've got the marketing team, you've got the creative team, and they're separate, they don't talk to each other, and they all do their own thing because, I mean, with very few exceptions, Pixar doesn't strike out. So, they're doing something right. Warners, you've got to start doing that because you're you're effing up your movies. This shows Warner's fundamental problem with their inability to capitalize on these characters and they they had kept pushing dark everything needs to be dark everything's scary and they saw guardians of the galaxy and they said oh we got one of them too let's do a suicide squad movie uh and it's gonna be dark and so we get david ayer and he you can tell the elements of this that were supposed to be a sort of gritty villain drama and and then I think they they heard the criticism from Batman v Superman the box offices while very high 
were not as stellar as they hoped for. And they saw Deadpool, and they said, oh, we're going to do a bunch of reshoots. Let's do a bunch of really funny stuff, and let's and let's hand over the movie to Margot Robbie and to Will Smith to provide that comic relief and winking at the audience. And they smushed these two movies together. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know that I wanted to see David Ayer's original version of this movie, uh, because I think that going too dark with Suicide Squad would have also been a problem. I liked the lighter, funnier thing, which is what they should have been going for in the first place. But instead of instead of redoing the whole movie, they just tacked on a bunch of stuff and whackity schmackity do <laughs> and and assumed that that would be good enough for uh, to, to make this whole um this this has been a problem with dc themed movies for a long time you go back to the original richard donner work on superman the movie he originally proposed to do this this three and a half four hour long movie uh, that included everything that you see in Superman 1 and 2. And they said, no, you can't do all of that. Uh, and and they made him cut out all of the stuff with General Zod. And so they had all of this left over, and they said, that's going to be your sequel. And so he went to go start working on fleshing that out into being a sequel, and they butted heads so much that he was fired, and they brought in Richard Lester to film the rest of the movie. <laughs> And so uh, there's a ton of tonally weird elements in that movie, too. Like, Zod and his minions walk through this little town in the Midwest, and it's a giant action sequence. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of slapsticky, and there's, there's slapstick stuff that's thrown in all throughout the movie. And you can tell it's so tonally different. It doesn't work. It becomes this weird Franken-movie. And that's exactly what we've got here. Um, I, we keep talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think that's the best way to kind of critically analyze what's wrong with Suicide Because Squad. this is what, I mean, this really is trying to be Guardians of the Galaxy from the motley crew of B-list characters. I mean, even to the soundtrack, I mean, again, Guardians did the soundtrack right. This one's got a, a fantastic soundtrack. It's one of the best parts of the movie. But in the first five minutes, you literally have four different theme songs playing. <laughs> yeah. And it's it just... Uh, yeah, so so Guardians, what did, what did they do right? Okay, they picked one central character and said, let's go with him. He's your entrance into the movie. It's, it's Star-Lord who's going to be at the center of this, and we tell the movie start to finish about Peter Quill. Great. They should have done that with either Harley or Deadshot and made it one of their two movies instead of expecting the two of them to work together and and make and still make it be cohesive. Find a theme, find something that is a through line through the entire movie that, that fits with them and make it work. Uh, they didn't do that. They tried to make it about everybody and so, of course, it's about nobody. The, th- the soundtrack, exactly what you said. I think they spent almost as much money on music rights for this movie as they did on special effects. 
I mean, it's just ridiculous how many mm -hmm. songs they had in here. Uh, I, I think because they saw the reaction to the trailer that used Bohemian Rhapsody and said, oh, that's fun. We need to amp up the fun, so let, let's put in a cool hip soundtrack. Good idea, but again, Guardians of the Galaxy, it was cohesive. They had that whole through line of, oh, here's a bunch of like kind of B-list pop songs from from the 70s that most people are kind of familiar with, but not really. And it's a tape that Peter Quill's mom gave him that he listens to and he loves it. And that makes it work. This is just like marketing mishmash. Um, and, and while you mentioned the trailer too, that was something that we don't want to forget to mention was that, uh, again, one of the problems with this movie is that people love the first trailer so much that Warner thought, oh, they know what they're doing. We'll have them come in and edit the movie. No, don't do that. <laughs> you yeah. can't have people who make two-minute marketing videos edit a two-hour movie. Yeah. Anyways, they, that was just, I forgot about that. So. No, 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 you're absolutely right. That's And that's that's a part of it. Yeah, they had the, <laughs> the marketing people come in and recut the movie. The other great thing with Guardians was you had a villain. And you had an expansion of the universe. This was moving the ball forward in building that larger universe in a lot of new and interesting ways. And there was nothing with with that here. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, with except for the introduction of Amanda Waller and and one one tiny spoiler, stay through. Uh, not the entire credits, but just through the end title sequence, and and you get a, a little scene there that hints at what's what's going on with Justice League. One of the best parts of the movie. There should have been more of that. That should have been. There was a very actual clear through line that they could have had this be a lot about Batman. There could have been more Batman weaved in through this because so many of these people are Batman villains. Yeah, and, and, and Batman is in it for literally two seconds, and his parts yeah. are fine. So, you know, people... They're great! Oh, they're great, yeah. And, and some people, you know, I've heard some sniping about, oh, well, Batman wasn't in it, in it enough. Well, we knew, they told us going in, he's in it for two seconds. So, <laughs> the fact that he's not there very often, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Uh, but again, it's Ben Affleck is a fantastic Batman, and, you know, maybe I would have enjoyed the Joker more it would have been the Joker versus Batman story because that's there's just, I just have so many problems with this movie because I went in I was excited I wanted it to do well and there are things it does really well like the Harley Quinn's fun it it does kind of have some like fun interesting vibe with the first part I keep on thinking of the the death uh, death shot introduction where he's on the phone and uh, haggling about getting paid before he kills someone and that was great and it was hilarious and it was fun it was interesting. Uh, but then, like you've been mentioning, like they just—it's like they threw everything they could at the wall and see to see what stuck, and nothing really did. And it's the whole thing—it just—it reeks of wasted potential. Um, it's you know we've been predicting and it's proven it, it's killing the box office. It outdid Guardians for its opening weekend, but it's just because everyone wants to go see it. It's just going to die next week. So. Yeah, I, I mean, but I think that there are enough hardcore DC fans that they're going to want to go and see this. And and that's great. I guess you get what you deserve. 
I mean, that, I, I, well, we just live a lot better than this. <laughs> that sounds really terrible. But uh, if you're willing to go through your money at this, um, this is what I ultimately hope for. I think the big gray battleship of DC Comics films is starting to turn a corner. And just like it takes those battleships, like miles and miles of open ocean, to actually make a 180 degree turn, I think that's what's happening. Is they've figured out that everything doesn't have to be dark, that the fun parts are missing. And if you look at Wonder Woman and you look at Justice League and what we've seen coming out from there, it looks like they're going for some of that lighter tone where you're balancing the serious and the funny. And and that is what a lot of movies, uh, not just Marvel, but Hellboy and other comic book adaptations have done very well. They can balance a very serious tone but also make it very fun and light in a lot of places. And that makes it accessible for your audiences. Uh, I, I think that this will be frankly baffling to a lot of people who aren't super familiar with the DC universe, who aren't going to understand like why the Joker is the way he is. All of that being said, I have one final thing to say about Margot Robbie and about Harley Quinn and how awesome she is. Oh yeah, she was she was the best part of the movie, hands down. She's just great. And the fact that, you know, she is she is surrounded by all of these super powered people and she goes out and fights with a freaking baseball bat. Yeah. In in her underoos, basically. <laughs> <laughs> she's crazy. She's awesome. Uh, you really believe her as a character and really what this says to me is that DC has tried to play catch up with Marvel for too long and they shouldn't have done that they should have done a standalone Harley and the Joker movie before they did Suicide Squad they should have done a Joker and Batman movie before they did Suicide Squad um Bring in it would be like doing, It's like doing the Avengers and then doing Iron Man 1, Captain America, and the Hulk. Exactly. Exactly. And and they thought they could just step right into it. And, and I think that they're learning that that is, that is not the way to go. And so I think if we, if we give them a mulligan on all of their movies thus far and, and go into Wonder Woman with fresh eyes, I'm hoping that that will be the first building block of their new cinematic universe that really, really works well. And, and I'm, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because I didn't hate this movie. I just, I thought it should have been so much better given the, the potential and the amazing moments of brilliance that each of these characters had. There, there were moments that I'm like, yes, that's your movie, that's awesome, and then the other eighty percent of the movie, I'm like, this is so boring. Why am I watching this? And and you can't do that. So uh, I'm I'm hoping DC turns it around. Uh, so I'm at like a five out of ten, just kind of right down the middle. 
I, I can't say that the good outweighs the bad or the bad outweighs the good. I can say this isn't as big of a disaster as, say, Fantastic Four. Um, but it is not as good as any of the Marvel movies that we've seen in a long, long time. Like, the closest Marvel movies that this even comes to are, like, Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> or uh, or or Daredevil, um, I think those are kind of uh, in those are kind of the same the same kind of movies movies that had good elements in them but didn't work for a lot. Of yeah, and and this is the, the one thing I'm excited for is like like you mentioned with Warner Brothers like turning the battleship is that they just appointed uh, Jeff Johns who's been in charge of all the, yes. the comics and some of the TV series for DC. He's kind of now the, the, the head honcho over all of the DC movies, uh, and he knows what he's doing, and I'm very, very excited to see how he can affect things going forward. Um, see, I'm, I'm a bit opposite than you, because I, wa- I walked out of this movie utterly hating it. I was upset. I haven't been angry at a movie in a while. Um, again, it was just it was the, the missing potential. Like You had so much going for you. And you pissed it away, and that's and nothing makes me more upset about a movie. Like I'd rather go see a bad movie that doesn't know it's bad than see a one that there's glimmers of a great film just surrounded by all this crap. And you know, if you just can peel it away, you can get to the actual good movie that's there. So I'm only at a three out of ten, uh, which actually was a step up from where I was last Monday when we saw it. It's just there is a good movie somewhere in there. But it's really hard to find because there's so much junk around it. Yeah, like, I almost thought maybe I should go see it again just because maybe I missed something. But I can't rationalize giving this movie money. <laughs> so maybe when it comes out on DVD, I'll, I'll rent it at the end or something. But no, there's just... There, it does a couple things really, really well. Uh, mainly the acting, some of the characters. But again, they, t- they took two movies, they smushed them together, and the outcome ends up being less than the sum of its parts. Since we've both given our ratings, let's talk a little bit about the ratings aggregator controversy surrounding this movie. Well, um, I signed a petition to shut down Rotten Tomatoes because, you know, it's you can shut down a website that way. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? So this is, this is just really funny. So DC fans very upset at the fact that uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave Suicide Squad a 27% and deemed it rotten. Even though they uh, hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yes. The fans hadn't seen it yet, and uh, and so they they were really mad, and they're like, "Well, Rotten Tomatoes is biased, and they're they're in the tank for Marvel movies, and they don't like DC movies." Because, Aren't they owned by Warner's? Uh, no, they're owned by. Here, hang on. Let me see. I think they're owned right by now. Fandango. If I remember, um, I no, they Warner Brothers owns them. <laughs> yep, yeah. it was owned by Flickster, which was acquired by Warner Brothers. So yes, Warner Brothers' own website is giving this movie crappy reviews. <laughs> that makes sense. That's hilarious, and I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I have a problem with with Rotten Tomatoes only because it all Rotten Tomatoes does is they set up a a binary. A, a yes or no for every single critic. There's no nuance. So they would probably take my review and call it a negative review. Yeah, anything under a 60% is considered rotten. 
Yeah, and and but uh, but then they take. So what they do is if you just take took me and Adam, and you said, okay, well you both gave it negative, then it's a zero percent. Well, but that isn't actually reflective of what we said. Adam gave it a three. I gave it a five. By all accounts, it should be like a 40%, right? But it no, it's at zero because we both gave it a negative review. Or maybe Rotten Tomatoes said, well, we actually think Andy gave it a positive review. Even though he was at a 5 out of 10, then it would be at a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes because it just took a no from Adam, a yes from me. So... The problem, that's the problem with Rotten Tomatoes is it's actually a very low information website. And, uh, you know, there are, there are film critics who give what they think to be a mainly positive review of a movie and it ends up getting classified as negative by Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that happened with uh, with a local Salt Lake film critic. He was the only critic on Rotten Tomatoes who gave Zootopia a negative review. And he got hate mail from across the country. Like, how dare you hate this movie? And he's like, I gave it two and a half stars out of four. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think it was bad. I thought it was good. And, but uh, but Rotten Tomatoes called it, uh, called it negative. So uh, it... it it's just so silly. And like you said, Adam, like sign a petition to shut down a website. Like, come on. This isn't this isn't like a hate group. They're just a content aggregator uh, trying to give you some information about this. All of that being said, I think there's a real problem with the way that Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and IMDb and, and some of these other places do their movie rankings. Uh, I don't think they're pulling in the nuance. And I don't think that they're pulling in fan response. And, uh, and I think that there is a, there's something to be said about listening to critics for an educated opinion with, with some nuance. And then listening to fan reaction. If Suicide Squad is the only movie that you have seen in the last six months, you're probably going to love it. Oh, yeah. Because you haven't seen the other highs and lows of of what's out there. And if you're a big DC fan, you're probably going to love it because, hey, Harley Quinn is awesome and Deadshot's awesome and Amanda Waller is awesome. And you've always wanted to see them up on screen, right? But our job is to say, like, okay, we see... Everything. (laughs) Yeah, like two, three movies a week. We review them and are able to tell you, like, if you are going to go plunk down $10 for a seat and you're going to buy yourself some popcorn and a beverage. Which is $30. You're $20 into this movie. If you're taking your family, you're spending $50, $60 right off the top. Is that worth your time and money? What is the opportunity cost? What are you missing out on by going to see Suicide Squad instead of going to see Ghostbusters, instead of going to see Star Trek? What should you choose among those things? And and so those are those are all fundamentally different issues. And, and quite frankly, I think it's something that uh, someone like a, 
like a 538.com needs to take a look at and build a better predictive model that judges the actual quality of films based on both critical reviews and fan reviews and is able to come up with a basic thumbs up, thumbs down based on, yeah. on some of that. Well, and, and Rotten Tomatoes does it well. I mean, you've got, I mean, if you pull up the movie, you've got the, the critic score right next to the audience score. So they do kind of let people weigh in on both sides. And every now and then you do have a movie that pops up like, like this one that has complete opposite ends of the spectrum where they're, you know, the critic score is 26 and then audience score is 73. But I mean, if you look at it most of the time, it's pretty, pretty close. But yeah, there are movies like this that are divisive and you know, like you mentioned, you know, most people go see a movie every couple months or maybe once or twice a year and then they wait for them to come out on DVD and Blu-ray and either buy or rent it because if you've got a family of three or four or five, it's, you know, a hundred bucks to go out and see a movie, whereas you can buy it for 20 bucks and make popcorn for five cents at your home and you're set to go. So, you know, people are crying, oh, the critics are, Disney's, the funniest one was that Disney's paying the critics not to like this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have not gotten a paycheck yet. I call shenanigans. <laughs> yes, um, Disney, I'm waiting for my movie check, please. Or at least my, my Disneyland pass. I mean, give me one of the two. Help, just send me some Funko Pops or some oh, yeah. or some uh, some Mickey ears. I'll, I'll you can pay me in swag. That's fine. <laughs> send me some R2-D2 Mickey ears, and that's all it takes. Yep. I am easily bought. <laughs> not really, but yes. Well, no, I mean, we see everything, and when, you, when you're watching... 150 to 200 movies a year, you know, you start to notice patterns and you notice things that are occurring over and over and over again. And when something like this pops up where it's, you know, easily, you can tell it's, and again, I walked out, I was like, this feels like it was two movies smashed into one. And sure enough, two days later in The Hollywood Reporter, hey, guess what? It was two movies smashed into one. You just you yeah. start to notice things. And it's, and it's not saying that, oh, we're above you or we're aloof. It, it, you see patterns and yeah. it just... And you, you have to talk about it because you've seen this over and over and over again. So, you know, if, if you go out and see this movie and you love it, I'm happy for you. Because I really wish I could. <laughs> I really, really, I mean, I went in hoping this would be good. I was excited for it. And I was just really let down. It was it was one of my most looked forward to movies of the summer. And, you know, I've got lots of friends who went and saw it and who, who called me out for not liking it. I'm like, you're allowed not to like something I don't like. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I wish I could be that. I, I wish I could give it a higher score. I really want to. And maybe when the Ultimate Edition comes out, you know, and they add in or they change to make kind of what it originally was, maybe then I can. But as for right now, it's, it's, there's just too much wrong with it. Um, that's just not letting me enjoy it like I want to. I feel like Deadshot and Amanda Waller and Harley Quinn uh, were all refugees from Earth One, where they made a really, really awesome Suicide Squad movie. And then they got transplanted into this crappy Suicide Squad movie mm-hmm. on on our Earth, and and I wish I could have seen that Earth One version because that movie that's like an eight out of ten. That was a great movie, and I want to see that movie. I always want to see that movie, and I'm I'm sad that this didn't live up to that. So, but anyways, so it's it's not. I mean, Andy's being a bit nicer than I am. <laughs> out, of, out of five out of ten, but you know it's like that a lot of people are liking it. Um, if you're a DC fan, like my buddies who are DC fans, they love it. They had a great time with it. But if if, you, if you're looking just to go turn your brain off and have some fun, I guess you can kind of do that. But just you're gonna have to overlook a lot. So even um, then, I think even if you turn off your brain for that final scene, it just. Uh, yeah, I, I, I 
I should have put myself into like a medically induced coma, and then <laughs> and then woken up, not just turn off my brain, uh, but yeah, then come back, wake up for the after credit scene uh, with with Amanda Waller. Uh, yeah. That was and there, that was worth and it. There is only a mid credit scene. There's no after credit scene, so you can leave after you see the the scene with her. Um, if you make it that long, but yeah. So yeah, like lackluster reviews this week. I, I think, to be honest, we were being very nice too. I could have ripped into it, but I do understand that there were some good parts of it. But next week, um, we got three movies. Actually, we've got the Disney remake of Pete's Dragon, Yay. which is which looks interesting. Uh, we've got the naughty Seth Rogen uh, animated movie Sausage Party, which is about. Uh, what life is like for food, and if you've seen, the tr- if you want to see something funny, just go uh, YouTube, look up Sausage Party Red Band trailer, uh, oh make sure the gosh. kids are out of the room. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and then Florence Foster Jenkins, which I know Andy's already seen, and I'm hoping to see Tuesday. So it's classy. <laughs> Pinky's out while watching. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's that's next week. We had a pretty stacked week, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna 